1: Welcome to the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut. Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Keep it all the way live. Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas.
3: Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I have no idea. <laughs> I I didn't that. know you were a but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith.
1: <laughs> Call Jiggy right now, 267 267- 22 Jiggy.
3: Hey Jiggy, what's
4: happening, man? Might <laughs> be that uh, David Bowie song.
3: Jiggy played guitar. Jack. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting... I'm, I'm Mike Massey. And, uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my drinks shots there. Thank you very much. Jiggy
5: Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw
3: you lose yours. Having that orange juice today has not been the funnest thing in the world. <laughs> Welcome to the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast. We are live coast-to-coast and border-to-border on iHeartRadio today. Twitch, YouTube, Rumble, all the various places. Bitchute. Whatever the hell bitchute is. And Frank's speech, baby. Live and direct. Get a hold of us online at JiggyJaguar.com. And we are going to go to our first guest. He is going to join us today here on the old Skip Skype. Yes, the old skype rooney And uh, we will get him on the line, and then we will get our various fine-feathered friends in here. Oh, it was Scott hey Scott how are you it's James Lowe how are you sir
2: I'm doing great how are you
3: pretty good actually uh give me just good. a few seconds here I've got to connect Dan Perkins uh up here on Skype and uh then we will uh we'll also get uh, IQ in here as well and uh we okay. have we have a uh, a great guest that we're gonna be talking to here in just a few moments he is a Fantastic, fantastic author, and uh, he is going to join us uh, here in just a few moments. We also have the great IQ Al Rizzoli, the uh, fantastic IQ Al Rizzoli, as I like to call him. He will be with us here in just a few as well. And uh, before we we get going here, uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us today here on our big program, and you can join us on Twitch as well. And uh, Scott Del Luzio is with us today. He joins us live here on our broadcast, and he has a fantastic book. It is uh, an amazing book, Uh, Surviving Son, an Afghanistan war veteran reveals his nightmare on becoming a gold star brother he joins us today here on the telephone and uh we are also joined by the man of the hour uh, mr dan perkins and uh we're gonna work on getting iq on here as well so scott uh, tell me and dan a little bit about your book surviving son an afghanistan war veteran reveals his nightmare of becoming a gold star brother tell us all about this book scott
2: yeah, sure. So uh, first off, thanks for having me on on the show. But the uh, the the book is about my my time in Afghanistan. My brother and I uh, both fought in Afghanistan at the same time in two thousand and ten, and he was he was killed uh, tragically just miles away from where I was. Uh, mm. And so this story is about our time over there in Afghanistan, and and the. Circumstances that surrounded his death, and and you know how it impacted our families, uh, how yeah. it how it impacted our our lives, uh, you know that we envisioned for ourselves going forward, and and what what happened with with all of that. So, um, you know, it's really a uh, uh, a story that has has had a lasting impact on me. You know, I wrote the book to tell our story, um, you know, and I know it's it's one of those things where, you know, my brother is no, no longer here. He's no longer able to tell his story. So I take a lot of pride in being able to be the one who, who tells his story, his side of the story as well, um, and, and do it to the best of my ability.
3: So, Dan, uh, you work with veterans, with, uh, with, with your nonprofit. What, what kind of what questions yeah. here do you have for Scott?
5: Well, Scott. Uh, first of all, uh, as a as a uh, as a brother, thank you for your service, and uh, and thank for the for the gift of your brother, uh, for our country. Um, I uh, I am an author. I've written a number of books, and I have two more being published right now. Uh, not simultaneously. I'll be a little spread them out a little bit. Um, I know what it means to write. Uh, Fiction or nonfiction? When did you start the journey of writing this book?
2: Well, I I actually started writing the book really early on when I first got back from Afghanistan in uh, 2010. I started just journaling, uh, just writing down you know key events and dates and feelings and things that I, I had going on in my life at the time. And and I, I was just writing things down because I knew that at some point, uh, you know, my kids would have questions about what i did in in the war and what what happened over there and, and what happened to their uncle and you know i wanted to uh to remember all of these things and i know mem- your memory has a funny way of playing tricks on you and, and sure. your memory will fade over time so so i started just doing that um you know casually i never really had any intentions to put this out there publicly um but then a, a couple of years ago i decided that it it was a story that needed to be told, um, mm-hmm. and, and because I think it, it was a fairly unique situation where um, my brother and I were both in Afghanistan serving in the, the military when he he was killed. Um, mm-hmm. You know it, that that's not something that that happens very often, right. and 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 you know hearing hearing from a gold star family like like mine, I think it, it's important for people. To recognize that there are sacrifices being made by real people, you know, to me this was one of those things that, it, well, it just happens to other people, and mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people have that in their head. It's like, well, oh, it's just going to be that that face or that name on the on the news that we see, and but they don't really know that there's there are. You know the story behind those real people. You know, and and so I want to tell that story and get that out there, so that people really have a good understanding that you know, real lives are are impacted by by these tragedies. Did you self-publish or do you have a publisher? I self-published uh, the book. Yes.
5: Okay. The reason I'm, I'm asking the questions, I'm trying to put together, in my mind, the sequence of events relative to what happened in Afghanistan. Where you were in the book process, whether it had had it been published or in the process of being published, because I, I really wanted I, I want to ask you. Uh, I know. Uh, the Vietnam. Era. I unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, didn't go to Vietnam. I stayed in the states and 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 served and did other things, but I'm curious because I know. I was a grunt. I was a communications uh, radio operator in a brigade net, uh, E3, you know, no, 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 I wasn't an officer or anything. But I've, I've studied war from the Civil War forward, and I looked at what we did when we left Afghanistan. And um, I didn't go to the war college and all that stuff, but it was pretty easy for me to, to, to try and figure out, what in the world the government was thinking when they decided and how they decided to withdraw from Afghanistan. And I'm curious, as you were piecing the journey together, I'm not sure that you had any real sense when when that eventual event of leaving Afghanistan
2: was going to come. But when it did come, what was your reaction? Yeah, you're, you're right. I didn't really have a good sense. I, I didn't know how long we were going to. Be there for, and you know, even when they start throwing around dates, you know, it's up in the air. You know, things change, and you know, politics and everything happens, and, and those those things can change. So, you know, I I didn't really have a good sense, but then it it almost hit me like a ton of bricks back, you know, a few weeks ago, back in August, when when all of this started unfolding, where when the Taliban started taking over you know, different portions of the country. And then, uh, then the whole withdrawal with, you know, trying to scrambling to get people out of the country. And it, it was just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I know a lot of veterans who served in Afghanistan are pretty disappointed in, in how the withdrawal took place and myself included. Um, but I, I think some of them are are kind of feeling like this war was, you know, a worthless war. Like we lost these lives, including my brother's life for nothing. And, you know, my, my take on it is that, you know, I don't, I don't really feel that we lost these lives for nothing. Um, I, I feel like a lot of good was done by taking the fight over there to the enemy and, and preventing another nine 11 style attack here at home. Um, and, and I, I really do believe that we, we saved countless lives by by taking that fight over there. Um, you know, it, not only just here in America, but also over there in Afghanistan, there there's Afghans who, who live better lives because they didn't have the the Taliban breathing down their neck uh, constantly for the last 20 years. And, you know, we, we provided lots of good things to the people of Afghanistan schools and, and things like that, where, you know, children, girls, especially had the opportunity to go to school for the first time ever. And, and I hope that they, they take some of that freedom and, and, let that sink in and, and hopefully they'll they'll use that to fight for their freedom going forward. If
5: you look at how we left, like a, a thief in the middle of the night leaving, um, yeah. do you now feel less safe or more safe that we're our presence is out of there?
2: You know, I, I feel less safe uh, here at home right now uh, because you know, not only did we leave the country in, you know, like you said, a, like a thief in the night, we just kind of like disappeared out of the country, but we left behind uh, kind of the opposite of a thief. We we left behind quite a bit of equipment, and now not only uh, is the Taliban back in power, they're they're better armed than they ever had been, and they're they now have access to the same military equipment that we had when we went over there, and and so you know, what, what's stopping, you know, another, you know, terrorist style attack happening here in the United States with our own equipment coming over here, you know, and that's something that, that does raise raise some red flags to me. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable about that situation.
5: I, I, I think that that was the greatest disappointment for me in the way that we exited the, the, the lack of, ignorance and planning now i i don't know whether you knew this or not so if you did i'll 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 apologize maybe uh, some of jim's audience doesn't know this the the uninformed conventional wisdom is that the department of defense was responsible for the exiting of afghanistan Mm -hmm. fact that's not true the State okay. Department. The State Department was the controlling force, and the military uh, served whatever they needed to be to, to be done. So it was the State Department officials who made the decision to leave in the middle of the night and leave almost ninety billion dollars worth of weapons in perfectly working order: aircraft, mm-hmm. rifles, handguns, masks, the whole nine yards. In fact, I've seen right. stories that the stockpile, the cache of weapons armament are left behind would make it about the fourth largest army in the world in terms of, of, of weapons. And I think I agree with you. We may, we may see those weapons coming back again. But right. um, was, there, was there ever a moment as this story unfolded that you ever said to yourself, what the hell is going on?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, and i I still look at the situation and and think, you know something went terribly wrong there. You know you know you don't you don't leave a country that way with with that much equipment. and then then later on, I started hearing that that the administration uh, who who was making these decisions, that they they were you know well aware that the Taliban was on their way to taking back over the country. they They didn't know the exact timeline, you know, would it happen in you know, a week or would it happen in six months or or whatever, but, but regardless, they would have had access to all of these weapons. And so, uh, you know, regardless of the the time period that we're talking about, those weapons still would have been there. And so what boggles my mind is, is just why, why didn't we either take them out of there and bring them back home so we can continue to use them or destroy them on the spot if For whatever reason we couldn't bring them back home which i don't know why we couldn't because we brought them there so we should be able to bring them back but you know if if time was of the essence we definitely could have destroyed them uh there and and then we wouldn't have had this situation yeah we have uh, got
3: uh a great guest with us today he joins us live Scott DeLuzio is with us. He has got Surviving Son, an Afghanistan war veteran, reveals his nightmare of becoming a Gold Star brother. And he joins us today here on a broadcast. We're also being joined by the great Josh Bernstein as well. And uh, IQ Al Rizzoli, I think, is also joining us. Um, so, Surviving I'm Son, how has, uh, how has this book been received scott how 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 have people uh you know i am gotten back in touch with you and said they've read the book or, or any feedback you've gotten on this
2: oh I've, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from people who who've read the book they've they've reached out and said you know how touching the, the story was and, and how impactful and powerful it was was uh, to them and and they they didn't i don't think they realized just how honest and, and like raw the, the story would be amazing
3: well josh do you, do you have any questions for scott while we've got him here
2: no
0: just i mean obviously you know one of the things that i've always wondered is not only did they leave this equipment behind but if they knew that they were going to leave it behind why didn't they at least booby trap it In other words, why didn't they put explosives and things like that on this equipment to blow it up or to make it inoperable when the Taliban was going to use it? I mean, you would think that the military would have been sophisticated enough and intelligent enough that if they knew that the quote unquote commander in chief and the administration and the woke generals and Maoist Milley and the affirmative action candidate who's now the secretary of defense, If all these people, unqualified as they are, were going to make this fatal horrific mistake and blunder, then I don't understand why some of the other military members that maybe were underneath them or on the ground in Afghanistan, if they saw the writing on the wall, why didn't they have the opportunity to booby trap these things and uh, sabotage uh, most of this equipment? Because what we have done essentially is made the Taliban the fourteenth most largest and most powerful military overnight. Yeah.
2: It's well right, and I, I think a part of that is is really gonna go back to uh, the fact that there was still a standing Afghan government with an an army there who a lot of that equipment was was going to be left there for them. Um and so if we were to booby trap that equipment we'd be you know, essentially, you know, booby trapping our our allies over there who who were in the, that the Afghan army, and and that that probably would have would not have played out very well. Um, but but you know, I, I think I think we should have had a you know better look at the approach getting out of that country and and realize that the Afghan government just did not have the resources that they needed to be able to continue this fight on their own.
0: Yeah, and I think the worst part yeah, is the, the reverse, part engineering reverse engineering that's going engineering on right
2: yeah. now. Yep.
3: Right. So we, we, we've also got IQ Al Rizzoli with us. IQ, what questions do you have for Scott? IQ, well, what
4: questions you have Scott? My question is simple. While he has been there for such, time, for such a long time, what did he think of what the capabilities do you do you do? of the Afghani soldiers? Do you do you do?
2: yeah so when, when i was over there the the lifestyle over there the villages that the people lived in it was a very big culture shock to me um it was it was not like anything that we experience here at home um and the the villages a lot of the ones that we went into the houses were were made out of mud bricks with straw roofs and you know wooden poles hanging up uh, you know their their roofs and, and things like that, and you know if they they wanted water they they walked down to you know a stream and collected it and they, they didn't have the running water or electricity like we have uh, you know commonly here in in the United states they They didn't have that in, in their their villages and, and the people lived a very you know what we would consider a primitive lifestyle uh, out there and and the thing that that really got to me was they were happy with it they They didn't know any different because they had never really left their, their village or, or gone too far outside of their village. So they didn't really know any different. And they were, they're were okay with that. And I think part of the the problem that we had over there in Afghanistan was almost like trying to fit a square peg through a round hole where we were, yep. we were trying to get the people of Afghanistan to uh, be concerned with having a, you know, a quote unquote, better way of life and, you know, a more Western way of life. And, and they didn't really care about that stuff. They cared about the people in their, their village and maybe the next village over and in their little little area. And they, they didn't care about what was happening in Kabul. They didn't care about what's happening in Washington. They don't they, they didn't care about that stuff because it didn't affect them. And so they were happy to live the way they were living. And, and I, I think that was one of the things that we needed to understand a little bit better while we were over there. But you never did. Never did. And your, your your leaders never taught
4: you. And they still are failing in te- teaching you. You are in a different culture, you are in an Islamic state. Mm-hmm. Yet nobody instructed you before you left America to go to Afghanistan about their lifestyle, about the cultural shock you will see. This I find extremely difficult to understand for the people who are going to fight a war in a
2: land which does not belong to them. It's well, amazing. So we, we did. We did, we did do a lot of, uh, we did do some training on, uh, the, the culture. So we, we did, did know certain things that were, uh, not appropriate to do over there. Um, that, and, and we knew some of the, the, the cultural norms. So I, I can't necessarily agree a hundred percent with what you're saying there, but, um, you know, there are, there are some things with, within their culture, that, that was a shock to us. Like I, like I was saying, the, the way that the people lived and that they were just okay with how they were living. Um, that, that was a little bit, uh, of a shock to me, but, but we knew, you know, how, how to interact with the women, for example, that that's a unique, uh, not, I can't say unique, but it's a different way of interacting with people than, than we would do here. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, how to greet people and, and all that, that type of stuff. We we did do some cultural training before going over there. So we did have that, that kind of background. So, so you, I, go on, could jump in for just a minute, Jim?
5: Yeah, go ahead, Dan. So
2: you were there. How long were you in, in country? So I got in, Afghanistan in early February uh, 2010, and I, I left in August of uh, 2010, so it was about six months. Okay. What what I
5: what I've thought about, I was not surprised that the Afghan army dropped their weapons and refused to fight against the Taliban. It didn't mm-hmm. it didn't surprise me, and I'm curious in the time that you were there did the thought ever cross your mind? If the Taliban comes back, these guys are not going to be on our side. They're going to drop their weapons and they're going to be on the Taliban side.
2: Well, you know, and one of the things I, I do write about in the book Surviving Son was one of the things that, that we were tasked with doing was training the Afghan army. And so we, we would do some, some training with them and then we would go out on missions with them. And, and uh, I, I sort of equate it to a, a driver's ed uh, class where you have the instructor in the passenger seat that has a brake that can pump the brakes if, if need be, uh, if things get a little out of control. But but generally, they were you know in control of, of the missions uh, going in and clearing the houses and, and things like that. But we were there for kind of backup support if, if they needed it. And one of the things I noticed was getting them to train was incredibly difficult. They, their their attitude and their mindset about it was just completely different. Now, um, you know, we were talking about culture before, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we struggled with was we were trying to train them during uh, the Ramadan, uh, which, uh, for people who are unfamiliar with that, that's a Islamic uh, holiday where uh, the people uh, don't eat or drink uh, during the, the daylight hours, and uh, they... It's just uh, you know complete you know fasting during that time and and when you're in a desert climate that could easily get over one hundred and twenty degrees, you're not really going to have a lot of energy to expend during that time period. So you know trying to get them to to train in the middle of the day was incredibly difficult. and then if we were to wait at night, that's when they eat. and so they weren't going to want to train then either. Um, and so you know it, it was just a difficult thing and then then when we actually would go out on missions, uh, they were, not very well prepared. You know, sometimes their their rifles would jam because they never cleaned their their rifles. They didn't have that sort of discipline to uh, take care of their stuff, and and they they weren't as well disciplined as uh, as we would have liked them to be. And so, you know, it it really didn't surprise me when they they dropped their weapons after the Taliban took over because, you know, I honestly I, I don't I don't think that a lot of them were. There, for um the defense of their country, I think they were some of them were there just to collect the paycheck. Yes, that they were
5: getting <laughs> let me, Jim, let me follow that with a quick question. Yes, uh, I was in basic infantry, and I knew part of my basic training at Fort Knox was how to assemble and disassemble an m sixteen rifle, how to clean it, how to take care of it. yeah, the thought in twenty years, we would have taught people how to how to clean and prepare their rifle for combat. And you're telling me we they didn't. They didn't know how to do it.
2: No. no. And whether they knew how to do it or not, I, I don't know. But they they didn't. So for all intents and purposes, no, they they didn't know how to. They, at least they didn't know the importance of it. Um, but when when you talk about that, that 20 years, that that a little bit of uh you know false assumption there is that you may have the same people that you're you're training for 20 years um but but a lot of times someone may may sign up for you know uh, the military service over there in in afghanistan and they sign up for a year or two or whatever the case may be and you may only get a couple months out of them before they they disappear and you you don't know where they they went and they don't want you to know um and so you don't you don't see them again so so it's it's hard because you're you're constantly training brand new people uh, trying to get them into uh, this military mindset. and then then people just disappear. and and it's it's hard to to really get them to be trained up.
0: Think of it this way. Uh, imagine, God forbid, CCP troops came into America and trained with Americans on American soil. And we're going to help us somehow, I don't know, defeat North Korea or whatever. I'm just throwing anything out there. <laughs> yeah. How would we feel as Americans trusting people that we automatically distrusted, number one, but number two, that have been our enemy? And whether it's from, you know, the, the people, whether it's from, you know, the – the uh, the government, whether it's from just you know farmers or whatever, anybody in the country is going to distrust us. So yeah. we should have learned our lesson uh, from Russia, and what the uh, Afghanistan people were able to do to Russia and have them leave the country with their tail between their legs. We should have been able to see that nation building in seventh century ideologies isn't exactly the smartest thing to do. And uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, 808,000 Americans served in Afghanistan and over 2,400 of those folks have died, including the 13 that we lost uh, earlier uh, in the last month or in the end of uh, August there. And it's terrible because we now have a situation where many of those folks that fought and died, and, and God bless you, for you know for your service to the country. Uh many of those folks, you know, are angry and pissed off and they're upset because their brothers and sisters died in vain and they were left by our government of all people. You know, you would think that your government would back you, and of course they did not. And that's really gotta be tough for anyone that served in this war. The only thing I could hope and pray is that the Afghan veterans that are so upset uh, are, you know, communicating off the grid, off social media, off email, off phone calls, but uh, let's just say that they're they're planning they're planning and plotting behind the scenes to make sure that their brothers and sisters never but di- died in vain. Yeah,
5: yeah, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, Jim. Do we have a, how much longer do we have the guest?
3: Uh, we've got him for a couple more minutes, and then uh, okay, he's I, he's got to get going. So ask if you one have one more question. Yes, go ahead, Dan.
5: This is this is probably, um, and I say to the guest, um, I've thought about this question a lot over the years. But one of the things that became clear to me when we heard what was going on, that for twenty years. The leadership of the American people, of the American military, was lying to the American people. I remember, I remember the gray haired general who was in charge of the combat forces in Vietnam, telling us that the military was lying about the kill rates and the casualties that took place in Vietnam. And it was like it's like Yogi Berra said, it was deja vu all over again. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell happened to the leadership in our military that in these two conflicts, they had to lie to the American people about their success or failure? And they were lying about their success. What's going on with the leadership in the American military?
2: Well, you know, I, I think... One, one thing is I, I don't know that the definition of success was really clearly defined uh, in Afghanistan in particular. Um, you know, what, what would you, you know, what, what goal line would you have to cross to in order to say we were victorious over there? And I don't know what that answer is. I, I don't know that anyone can give a, a real good, clear answer on what that is. And so, you know, when we, when people talk about winning or losing and, and, and things like that over there. I, I don't. I don't know that we can say that we did win or that we did lose because what were the rules of the game? What What did we have to to do over there? And and you know maybe it's a, a lie. You know lying by you know omission by just not saying what that that uh, target was. But you know it, it's it's something that I, I think was a, a failure over there and. And I think we should definitely learn from these experiences over there and apply this to any future conflicts that that we might find ourselves in. Because looking at the history of this country, we're we're bound to be you know in another conflict in the next uh, you know several years or so. So you know, let, let's at least learn from something yeah. here. Well, uh, the Honestly,
4: I'm sorry, I doubt. No,
3: go ahead. If you haven't I learned, you learned from Vietnam, Vietnam, you haven't learned
4: from. Uh, the Russian experience, and you haven't learned right. in 20 years. How could anybody leave Pagram Air Force Base before leaving, taking out the equipment and the, military, I mean, the civilians? How they is that did it on purpose. But that Arguably. is exactly why the military of Afghanistan collapsed. Without the Air Force to protect them or to supply them or to interdict on their behalf, there was no way on earth any Afghan army could defeat the Taliban. This should have been obvious all the time, obvious. Why was it obvious to me? And I'm not even a soldier.
3: (laughs) See, this is the thing. My articles that
4: I wrote, I said when uh, Biden said he will leave in August, I said before he leaves, the Taliban will take over. How is it conceivable that I, an outsider and not a military could come to the conclusion that the military couldn't come to?
0: Because you're an expert on Islam and you know how they think, and you know, thank you. That's right. All of the uh, you know ins and outs of the religion, and you knew that what our leaders didn't know, our leaders were dumb enough to think that somehow we were going to have enough American influence and Western ideology implanted on these folks to completely change their entire way of thinking. And I think that that's um, arrogance uh, certainly on our side to be able to think that we would be able to do that. Um, You know, George Bush once said that nations that believe in democracy don't attack each other. Well, yeah, that's true. But why is it our responsibility to create those democracies? And that's where Trump and his foreign policy of less intervention, why it was so popular with everyone, including even Democrats. And now we see the warmongering neocons and the Biden fake administration uh, just licking their chops to get into all kinds of conflicts. That's the problem.
4: The next one is the Middle East. Iran is preparing. Israel is preparing. Yep.
0: Well, well, Scott,
3: before we let you go, my friend, how do we get your book and, and get involved with what you're doing online?
2: Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon uh, in Kindle, paperback, hardcover format. So you can get it there on Amazon. Just search for "Surviving Sun" and uh, my podcast. I talk to a lot of veterans on my podcast. Uh, it's Drive On Podcast, so you can check that out at driveonpodcast.com. dot com. Fantastic, Scott. What's
0: your last name?
2: Uh, my my, I'm sorry, my last name. Yeah. Yeah, your pen name. Oh uh, yeah, so uh, Scott DeLuzio.
0: Okay, I thought maybe we were speaking with Scott McEwen, who helped write American Sniper, who I interviewed back in I don't even know. I think it was 2015, so I thought maybe that was the Scott, but uh, it's not.
2: <laughs> no, no, I, don't, I I can't take claim for that one. <laughs>
0: That's okay, well you're doing uh, God's work, and we appreciate it.
3: Good yeah, luck it with okay. Thank you. Th- th- thank you right, Scott thank you. appreciate it my friend there he goes that's Scott Deluzio and uh Josh Bernstein Dan Perkins IQL Rizzoli today so uh so Dan uh give, give, give me your thoughts on that on that last interview there with Scott while we get our next guest in here
5: well i I, I won't give you a comment on him per se. But I will give you a comment that I happened on one of my regular show. Um, right now, we have the lowest percentage of veterans in the Congress, both Senate and House, since the end of the Second World War. Yep. And so these, these men and women who served their country came home from the war and continue to serve their country by getting involved in politics. Yeah, I'm not, It's not a criticism of the American veteran. I'm just perhaps they haven't thought about it. I interviewed a veteran yesterday. He was in Special Operations Command. Um, he and his wife both served in Afghanistan, several tours, and he just decided that he had to do something. He had to get involved because he didn't like what was going on in our country. Yeah, and so he. He's decided to run for this the seventh district in the state of Virginia, and and he's actively campaigning, and um, involved. We've we
3: we've, we've got our next guest with us today. He joins us live here. On our big broadcast, Uh, he is fantastic. Stephen Williford is with us. He's from the Second Amendment Foundation. He became known across America as the good guy with a gun. He intervened in a deadly mass shooting incident on November 5th, 2017 that took place at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland, Texas. Williford shot and wounded the mass shooter twice, who then fled the church at high speed, crashed, and died. Stephen credits his unwavering faith and penchant for preparedness as to why he was able to step in during this critical incident. He is now a spokesman for the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, the Second Amendment Foundation, S-A-F dot O-R-G, and Stephen joins us today along with Josh Bernstein, the great Dan Perkins, and the fantastic IQ Al Rizzoli. I got an email from someone the other day, and and they they said that uh, they love Dan, they love listening to Josh and Don and all these things, but IQ is fantastic. (laughs) I wanted to to pass that on to you there, IQ.
4: If Josh can give me a compliment. The way he did a few minutes ago, I rest my case, I got my Ph.D.
3: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So, so Stephen, tell us about some of these different, uh, one of the big news stories is that women are purchasing handguns at record rates. And maybe this has little to do with an out-of-control southern border, but uh, what do you think about this, my friend?
1: I think it's an excellent thing that women are starting to uh, buy guns and learning to protect themselves. You know, obviously a woman, for the most part, has a severe disadvantage to a man when uh, in some sort of altercation. But a handgun equals all that, uh, makes everybody equal across the board. I think more women need to. I know uh, all three of my children, both my daughters, and my son, I trained them to be NRA, NRA experts with a pistol by the time they were eight years old.
2: Wow,
3: Dan, uh, start us off here, my friend, and then we'll go to Josh and. Oh,
5: okay. I, I, sir, sir, I, um, I, um, I have a nationally syndicated show with five million listeners, and I have been trying to get from the various organizations who support the Second Amendment. To get anybody to come on and talk on my show, and I treat you with respect, honor, and dignity. So I'm putting you on this spot. Would you consider coming on my show?
1: I would come on your show. Okay. <laughs> That's good. a way now, to
3: do it, Dan. <laughs> so I want to go back to the. I appreciate that.
1: That's Jim. awesome. I'll get the contact what
0: are information.
5: <laughs> I'll get the contact information for Jim. Yes, yes. I'll I mean, send I got, that I got to you. Organizations, I have organizations who claim to support the Second Amendment that never return phone calls. Some of them I've called five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 times, never return a phone call. I've yeah. never been so disappointed in organizations who say they support the Second Amendment. we we'll to go back to the women issue. I think what you're saying is 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 true, but I think there's another reason why women are buying guns. Defunding the police. More and more yep. women in That's these right. inner cities, big northern inner cities, don't trust that they're going to have anybody from the police department to respond. Remember, it's important. A lot of people don't understand this. The the, the police, more often than not, respond after the fact. Not before or what, rarely while it's going on. Right. So I believe that the, one of the reasons is that the women, many, many women of all colors, shapes and sizes, have decided that this defund the police movement has put them in jeopardy. I have a a friend who lives in a very exclusive community in Savannah, Georgia, in a gated community, has learned to shoot a gun. It's because she's concerned that with the amount of illegal immigration coming into this country and and people being dropped off, and you'll never know until they arrive at the bus station or the airplane how many they're dropping off, communities can turn very rapidly. So I think part of this, in, in gun sales in general, are up dramatically. Uh, but I think it's a function of the, the realization that Americans are beginning to understand they can't count on the police because the left doesn't want the police to be there. So they're left with no other choice
1: than to gun up, and take care of themselves. Absolutely, I want to address that because on November 5th, 2017, when a madman came into First Baptist Church, Sutherland Springs, he started shooting and killing people and he started shooting through the windows and the walls of a hundred year old church. And uh, we live in a small community of 600, maximum of total, total numbers in Sutherland Springs. And we are far from the Wilson County Sheriff's Department. We obviously are such a small community. We don't have our own uh, police department. So when he started shooting through the walls and stuff, the church, I knew that it could be a while for the police to be able to get there. And, And that being said, I have the highest respect for our police department. Our men and women in blue were coming as fast as they could. They were endangering their own lives just driving to the church to run into a a situation where um, they may not know anybody in the church, but they're running into a situation to put their lives in danger for them. But the reality is I grabbed a rifle out of my safe. I grabbed a handful of ammunition, a magazine, and started loading it as I ran across the street, and I was five to seven minutes before the police got there. They were five to seven minutes behind me. We are our own first responders in so many ways. And it's time that we realize, yes, like you said, police a lot of times are there to mop up the blood, take evidence, and hopefully arrest someone. But for the most part, they are not there to stop the crime in progress.
5: Let me, uh, let me follow that, sir, by, by absolutely agreeing with you, but I, I, would, I would propose a, a new question. As the left continues across the country to defund the police, do you think, and I, I'm going to use this word, I want you to understand I'm using it in a positive way, not a negative way. Do you believe that Americans are going to be forced to create their own vigilante groups? to
1: protect themselves? I, I personally think that there are groups cropping up all over the place, militia, if you will. Uh, I, I I think that has a negative connotation and so many times it's given to us uh, by the media, for the most part, as a negative thing. I, I see it as a positive thing. People, Minutemen, you could call groups Minutemen and what a Minuteman was is when they gave, they were given any kind of warning of anything happening, they had a minute to get their gun and so many balls of ammunition at the time and so much powder into action within a minute. They were required to be able to react within a minute. So in some ways, I was a modern minute man.
0: God bless you for doing what you did. Yeah. And uh, thank God you survived. Uh, you know, look, uh, every single time they talk about defunding the police, the gun lobby and the gun groups get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more powerful, which is a good thing for the United States of America as more people are buying and owning firearms. Over a hundred million people now have guns uh, in their possession and over 310 million guns are in the hands of those 100 million. So. I believe what Robert Heinleck has said, which is an armed society is a polite society. The more guns in society, the safer society is, not the other way around. It's just amazing that throughout all of these shootings and mass shootings and all these sprees that people can't finally understand and realize that a good guy with a gun is gonna meet a bad guy with a gun and save so many countless other lives. You know, I've often I've often said which is a better headline: Madman with a gun walks into school and kills 25 children, or Madman with a gun walks in school to kill 25 children gets shot by teacher and security guard; 24 children's lives saved. So, again, you know this connotation that uh, guns are the evil and guns are bad. No, it's not. It's guns are good. People have bad intentions, but with more people having guns in their hands, we're going to be able to stop these crazy shooters out there that do these destructive things. And again, they always do them where? In gun-free zones, right? That's where all the shootings happen, in gun-free zones. So it goes to show and prove that when you take guns away from law-abiding citizens in society, you're making that society less safe, not more safe. And uh, Just
1: that's- Lee, uh, an interesting stat came out and this is by the FBI reported that more bad guys are shot and killed in, in the commission of a crime by civilians and individuals more are shot than by police officers that means that yep. men and women out here uh, that are not police officers are now beginning to defend themselves with guns. And when a criminal comes out, of course there's going to be more of them shot because if you are able to defend yourself, uh, you're there when it happens. The police have to get there. So now it's outnumbered the people that are using guns to defend themselves against criminals, and they're shooting more criminals themselves than the police officers are. The greatest, Jim, the greatest fear that
5: I have is with the hundreds of thousands of millions of people that are coming from across the southern border. I'm not saying that they're all bad guys, but there's a lot of bad guys that are being smuggled into the country. Uh, the the risk of being attacked by a bad guy is going up every time a hundred thousand or a thousand or whatever number you want to pick on it come across yeah. that border illegally. And I, I hear the stories about what's happening to the villages and towns and communities on the Texas border and how they're being destroyed by the by the illegals and the, the cartels. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the practical reality was that the, the, the issue of the Haitians under the bridge in Del Rio, Texas, in my opinion, was all about distracting and redirecting the border patrol to del rio and leaving miles and miles and miles and miles of the border unprotected unparoled and thousands of more came in drugs weapons and bad guys came in just
1: walked across the border please please do this for me okay i just put out a new video i have a youtube channel called the Barefoot Defender, and uh, my YouTube channel is out there, and what I did is I went to Roma, Texas. You're exactly right on so many ways. I went to Roma, Texas, and in a dead-end street in a neighborhood, the Border Patrol had plastic foldable tables set up, and they had five Border Patrol agents there. And they had the illegals lined up in front of them and this is up at the top of the banks and they were checking them at the top of the banks and they would bring them up and say do you have any id well over 90 percent had no id and they'd say where are you from uh, honduras they'd write it down they're from honduras what is your name and they'd give them a name no proof of any of this at all no proof that they're from honduras no proof that they're uh, James Gonzalez or whatever, and they would put them on a bus. Now I went down to the edge of the Rio Grande River, the border between Texas and Mexico, and where our National Guard was down there. And our governor has said that he sent the National Guard down there to prevent this from happening. Instead, our National Guard was down there at the border, flashing a flashlight across the border, for the drug cartels to bring the illegal illegal immigrants there. We had a night vision camera and we were videoing and we videoed four boats coming across and our own National Guard helping that to happen. They were facilitating and bringing the illegals onto American soil. And we, we were told by the National Guard that we were unwelcome, that we were trespassing. <laughs> uh, you mean I'm standing <laughs> on American, and I'm an American citizen, and I'm and
0: you're the trespassers. trespassers.
1: Not that, and you're bringing backs. illegals onto our shores. No, they're the ones that are trespassing. I am not, and that was confirmed later by the uh, highest ranking Border Patrol up at the top of the river. We we were told yes, we did have the right to be down there. They tried to discourage it.
3: <laughs> yes, you did have the right. We were
0: to told. Be down.
3: Go ahead. That's that that that's amazing that you had to be told that yes, you had a right to be down there. <laughs> amazing. When, when we started
1: the river, they told us do not flash a flashlight. And it's about a half mile walk down to the river. They said when you're going down the hill, do not use a flashlight because the drug cartels shoot at flashlights. I had on class four body armor walking down the river with no flashlight and video in this and uh so i walked down there and i videoed it and they did not want me down there uh the national guard made it but, and they said that they the uh, border patrol told us we have the right to be down there but they try to discourage it because it's dangerous well if it's dangerous it's time for it to be dangerous to come onto our side of the border uh they Amen. put on armbands they had on armbands all the and those armbands, you were talking about, you're, you're thinking that they are criminals coming over here. What those armbands indicated, and when every one of the illegals came across, they would tear the armband off and drop them down on the ground. Those armbands indicated they have paid the drug cartels to come over here. And if if they didn't have the money to pay them, Then they sell themselves into servitude to the drug cartels. They either guarantee that they will run drugs on our side of the border or be a sex slave. And if they don't fulfill that, the drug cartels will find them and kill them on this side of the border. And one guy, apparently a week and a half, two weeks before I went down there, one man had tried to cross the border and... The drug cartel drug him to the banks of the river on the Mexican wow. side. While he was still alive, they disemboweled him, pulled his intestines out with him screaming with an eye and earshot of our side of the border. And then they cut his head off and they left his disembodied head and body on, on the Mexican side as a warning. This is what happens to you if you don't pay us to cross. So everybody that we are taking in, first off, is an illegal alien. He, break, he or she breaks the law to be there. And second, has guaranteed that he will do illegal things on this side of the border to repay the drug cartels so they won't kill him and his family on that side of the border. And then when they get to the top of the border, the Border Patrol divides them up. Fifteen years and older, boys to men and puts them on one bus, and women and children and put them on another bus, and they ship them into the United States and let them go, no telling where. My question
4: to you is, how
1: is it conceivable
4: that American citizens are helping the destruction of America from within? Please tell me. And I can't figure it out. So could somebody explain it to me? The what? liberalism. Can you explain it to me, please? How is it possible for the National Guard, who are Americans, allowing illegals unless they're being paid by the cartel, also? You tell Except me. Because I'm we, asking you. I'm not an American citizen yet, so I'm asking you.
1: Yet. <laughs> it's a it's a question that I can't answer, other than them. They said that they were under orders. They were just doing what they were ordered. Yeah, just like by the who? Nazis
0: did. If,
1: if the commander words. in chief,
4: if the commander in chief who is the president, is not willing to take care of the security of the nation on its border, which would be his responsibility, then this commander in chief is a traitor. He should be put on trial for treason and executed if found guilty. Thank you. you
5: but the, from a practical standpoint, IQ, that's not gonna happen.
3: <laughs> I'm not <laughs> yes. interested in
4: a practical point of view. I'm interested in the law. You have a constitution. Um, You tell me you you have a constitution. I believe you. Sorry, sorry. I'm not not being disrespectful. I'm angry. I have applied applied legally to come to America. I'm getting my green card. Maybe in a month or two. I spent two years to do it, $10,000, and some piece of shit goes across (laughs) the border and becomes an American citizen, and I'm equal to him. The answer is no.
0: Right. IQ is right.
4: Uh, He's he's right, but the practical
5: reality, to answer your question, at least from my perspective, is that the policy and the direction starts at the top. And Joe Biden has basically refused to address the problem of the volume of illegal immigrants coming across the southern border. He put, quote, Kamala in charge of it. She went one time, has never said a word about it since then. They don't care.
0: They don't care they, they don't want to care they are the liable white Excuse working me. class.
4: They voters. don't care. What do
5: you mean? They don't care. You've got a the 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 white
0: working class. Where are,
4: where are we in a banana Republic? What yes, we are.
0: Yes, we are. I
4: accept that. I understand. I agree. I said it was an a banana Republic, but from the practical point of view, from the legal point of view, from the constitutional point of view, I would have an armed insurrection if I were in America, I would start an armed insurrection.
5: IQ, you gotta understand that we have an administration who just set an enormous precedent. When the Center for Disease and Control last year allowed people to suspend their rent payments, the landlords went to court and it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court set said that the CDC has no standing because they're not a legislative body, not enact laws. So the action of the CDC was unconstitutional. What did you, what did Joe Biden say? As the, as the titular head of the government, which was the message that was sent down to the closed border crossing guard, we don't care what the court said, we're gonna
4: do it anyway. And you are willing to accept that without a revolution. Sorry, I don't accept, personally, I don't accept any excuses. Every excuse is a, a way to get out of it. I don't accept that. I'm sorry. I'm willing to put my life on the, on, on the line. I have absolutely no doubt about it. I am willing. I am. All the time, I'm getting threats to be murdered because of what I say. But am I afraid?
3: The, the answer is no. Everybody Join dies. Join the club with Josh. <laughs> it's what legacy you leave, which is more important. James, what are you laughing at? No, I'm just amazed that this whole thing has just gotten so completely out of control. And how long has Biden been the president? What, six months, maybe? Nine months he
4: destroyed America. In nine months. Less than that. And you, American people, are allowing it. The shame is on you people. Not on it the is... gentleman who went to shoot the, the perpetrator. He used yeah, his, I I, you've got to
5: understand something. No matter how angry we get about what's going on, even if the Democrats lose the House and the Senate in 2022, the president still will be in charge of the executive branch, and it po- probably will be Joe Biden.
4: Impeach so, him.
5: Wait, wait, let me finish. There are <laughs> millions of Americans who think that things can be, re- be reversed if we get control of the House and the Senate. That's not true. That is a false nope. hope, a false assumption.
0: Because so, of my cousin Vito.
5: Right. And so so nothing is really going to happen per se until the 2024 presidential election. Now, I believe that it's possible that the the two tax and spend bills by the uh, by, by the Biden administration are going to go down to defeat. But that doesn't mean they're going to stop they're going to continue to do whatever they can, as much as they can, and the, the midterm election won't slow them down, because if they, get, if they get destroyed in the midterm election and they're going to continue the policies, they're not going to do a Bill Clinton and reverse their positions and be nice and cozy with everybody. It's not going to happen. So they're going to continue right. for the remaining two years, and they don't really give a crap whether or not they get reelected or not. They're going to try and destroy as much of the po- country as they possibly can, knowing that unless we have a constitutional convention to remove them all from office, there's nothing we
1: can do about it. it this is, you've, well, you, you've found the right place, the right way to go is a constitutional convention. And we've already got several states that are willing, we need 37 states to call a constitutional con- uh, convention. And Got this it. is where we have to go. If not, and I'm going to tell you, there is a big movement here in Texas to that's called Texit. And I'm going to tell you if Texas exits, and, and here it is, guys. I truly believe the Democrats will let Texas exit. Because if Texas exits and becomes our own nation, the United States will fall to them 100%. You guys need to know that if Texas walks away with our delegates, then there will never be another Republican anything or conservative anything elected in the United States of America. And if Texas is the first one to exit, you can figure Oklahoma, Arizona, and several of the others to walk out with Texas.
0: Now, the only thing that I can say to that is there is the U.S. supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution, which has stopped other secession movements in the past. So as I've said before, the only way to get out of communism, because let's face it, America is a communist state, is to shoot your way out of it. And I've said that many, many times, Uh, waving flags, uh, doing rallies, uh, petitioning. Uh, voting, none of it's working because they have decided to steal the election and they have taken away our ability to change our government. So when we have been removed of that ability to change our government, what other means do we have to preserve our liberty and our freedom? Okay? Revolution. Your, your question is, uh, my
1: question is, who are you planning on shooting at? Huh? I know exactly
3: uh, who to shoot at.
0: (laughs) Put it this way. I know exactly who to shoot at. If the American people decided that they have had enough and they went down to Washington, D.C., not with 500,000 people or a million people, with 10, 15, 20, 30 million Americans, we would change the government. We would basically go down there and say, this is it. We've had enough. Your time is up and we are now going to address the grievances that we have and we are going to change the government. And I believe that that could happen. I don't know when it would happen, but it could happen. The other thing we can look at doing is a virtual secession movement where we have our own banks, our own hospitals, our own schools, our own entertainment, our own supermarkets, all of it. That would be a virtual secession movement as well. So there are things we can do. And by golly, we're not going to allow an authoritarian, totalitarian regime to tell us and dictate to us what we can do. We will not allow it to happen.
1: Uh, and I I agree with you. On January 6th, they said there was anywhere between 2 million and 5 million people there. And I believe it. I, was, I spoke at um, on the uh, Capitol grounds on January 6th, and we had up to five million people there, and they walked into the Capitol without guns, and and there was nothing that could have stopped them, and that was even just a small percentage of who was there. I was not part of the ones that went into the Capitol, but no, it, it. wouldn't be on this. Be done, uh, and what has happened happen- since? Now they are, are censoring us on Facebook and other social media. They've shut down some social media and uh, they're censoring us so that we can't get together and go do something. Fa- imagine if that 5 million people that were there or even 2 million people that were there would have showed up at the DC Capitol with guns. I would have loved that.
4: This was my dream. I could many, outcome. many times. It would have been a very been,
1: different that's
4: outcome. That's exactly what should have happened with guns. Legal.
0: See, the government needs to understand that they only exist as long as we allow them to exist. Right. Because the states are the ones that created the federal government. Therefore, they are our bitches. Okay? <laughs> they are subservient <laughs> to the state governments. We call the shots, not the federal government. So, again, when and if. The American people decide that we have had enough. Well, remember, the three percenters, it only took three percent of the population. Okay, right now we're sitting in at least nine, if not 12 to 15 percent of the population that has had enough. They are up to their eyeballs in anger, resentment, vitriol, retribution, whatever you want to call it, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. And when they get to a certain point, again, when, I don't know, uh, the American people are going to say, we've had enough. And now that we've had enough, this is what's going to happen. And the military and the intel communities and everything else are just going to have to accept the results. And they're not going to fight back.
1: Okay. That being
0: said, do you,
1: and I'm not saying this is happening, I'm not saying this is the conspiracy theory that's floating around with what's going on at the border. And this again I'm not condoning this theory or whatever, but this is what people are saying. They're they're taking the men 15 years and older. Yep. And they're sending them out and they're putting on on military bases. And our military can't even go on those areas of the base. Fort Hood, Fort Bliss, seven other military bases around the u.s they're putting these illegal immigrant men of military age on these bases and they're saying they're they're this is the conspiracy theory now they're saying they're training them in guerrilla warfare for that day what do you say Um, about that
0: i think it's possible I certainly do, I think it's possible. I think this government is that evil. I think this government hates this country. I think this government wants to do anything they can to control us. And uh, I think that it is certainly possible. However, there's still somebody out there that rightfully won this election. And that person is Donald J. Trump. And I don't know if he's doing this or not, but I hope and pray that he is. I hope that he is working behind the scenes with people that he can trust, which is probably very, very few, Uh, officers that have been uh, de-funded, perhaps intel community officers that are not happy with what's going on, perhaps mandated vaccination folks that have been thrown out of the military, perhaps those that supported the MAGA first, uh, America first agenda that were removed from the military by Austin and the other goons. And I hope that there is some type of, of meeting going on, uh, perhaps a ragtag military being put together, a civilian army, if you will, uh, made up of uh, patriots, made up of ex-military, made up of ex-police officers, made up of three percenters, made up of who knows how many other groups out there, Bikers for Trump, whatever. And they're all getting together and they're preparing on the other end.
3: Jim, because yes, if they're
0: not, go, go, that's a problem.
3: Go, go ahead, Dan, and then we'll wrap everything up here. Um,
5: I'm, i I got to go do another show. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. uh, already ten after.
3: Okay, that that that's have, fine. That's fine. Check out danperkins.guru for more information. And uh, Josh, uh, and send me the contact. I will. Send I'll send. I'll send you Stevens' information. I'll send you Stevens' information. Dan, if you want me on any topic, any time.
5: All right, super. Thank you.
3: Okay, Thank you, Josh, uh, jump jump in there and uh, tell tell us how we get in touch with you online, websites, everything.
0: Josh Bernstein Uncensored Find out why I get more attacks on that website in a week than most government sites. I've got not one, not two, not three, not four, but five levels of security and a full time IT guy just to keep the website up and running, safe and free. That's how much they don't want me speaking. Josh Bernstein Uncensored com. If it's banned on social media, you'll find it there. Okay. Or, so so Stephen You
1: can get in contact with me also. So, so what's that? You can get in contact
0: with me also. I'll do your show as well. I'll do any show. It <laughs> what the topic is. I don't care. I'll speak on anything. I'm professional. I've been doing this for I don't know. Eight years. I've done well over four thousand radio interviews and over a hundred television interviews, if not more than that by now. So yeah. So uh, at so, least you're still on YouTube, buddy. That too. <laughs> that too. So I was uh, thrown off of everything. I so, had Roku television, Amazon, Amazon Prime, millions of views, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I can't even get on Discus. You know what that is? Discus is the commenting format. When you have to sign in to comment, I'm even banned from Discus. Okay? So, uh, you're very popular. That's why. You're, I'm so over popular. The you're very popular.
3: Day. That's why.
0: <laughs> I'm more infamous
1: than famous these days. There you go. My Facebook Messenger, so I can't get
3: any of my messages anymore. So, so Stephen, how do we get in touch with you and everything, my friend?
1: Okay, you can find my YouTube channel at Barefoot Defender. Uh, Go look me up on Barefoot Defender, and please subscribe to my channel. I need that. I think they're shadow banning me. Imagine that. Uh, But you can find my videos on Barefoot Defender. Uh, Again, I've got to talk about my sponsor, the Second Amendment Foundation at saf.org. They get me out there. We're fighting through the legal ramifications of everything, going with firearms and stuff and fighting things all the way to the Supreme Court. So,
0: Is that Alan's group? What's that? Is that Alan's group?
1: Yes, it is.
0: Tell Alan Gottlieb, uh, Josh Bernstein says hello. Okay, I've interviewed I- him a few times. It's been a few years, but he knows exactly who I am. God I'll- bless uh, Seth and uh, the good work that they're doing. They are definitely a no compromise, no compromise Second Amendment organization, as are the uh, Gun Owners of America with Larry Pratt. uh, And of course, um, you know, the one that I can't pronounce, the CT, that one. But uh, the NRA (laughs) is not. They have compromised many times in the past. Let's just be honest here. But they are,
1: and be honest, they are the 900 pound gorilla in the room. They are.
0: And they okay. have the might and they have the, the the ability and the lobbying and all that, and, and God bless them for continuing to fight. But they have been uh, a few times, they have catered to uh, demands from the left, unfortunately.
1: They have. They and have. they
0: shouldn't have.
1: And and we're working on that. And right. I'm, I'm trying my hardest
0: to be part of the solution there also. But SAF and GOA are no compromise. They are hardcore and, Second Amendment. The GOA,
1: the TSRA, I, I deal with the TSRA all the time, yep. Texas State Rifle, is so, I'm part of the GOA, TSRA, NRA, the SAF, and all, you know, I'm signed up with all of them, because,
0: Good. you know... Um, well, anytime you want me on any topic, I don't care if it's guns, I don't care if it's COVID, I don't care if it's elections, I doesn't matter what, I can cover anything. Where, where are you at? Where are you- uh...
3: He's in Arizona
1: somewhere. I'm in the
0: southwest. I'm in Arizona.
1: Okay. If you're ever ready to come into Texas, we'll set under a shade tree, and we'll um, we'll do a little shooting at my personal range. That would be
0: fun. Last time I was in Texas, I spoke at uh, the University of North Texas uh, in Denton, which is, by the way, a very beautiful downtown. Uh, And uh, so I was there a couple of years ago, but uh, Texas is a pretty interesting place.
1: And then uh, you can also get a hold of me at Stephen Woolford, S-P-E-P-H-E-N-W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D at gmail.com. I speak around the nation. I'm going on a 10-day tour in Pennsylvania. I'm going to start out at the Freedom Festival at the Tommy (laughs) Gun Factory uh, on the 9th and 10th of this month. And then I'm going across pennsylvania speaking at churches helping them set up safety response teams and things to be able to defend themselves in
3: case good good for you that's awesome i'm glad to hear that fantastic well uh, b- before we go iq al Rizzoli, how do we get in touch with you my friend
4: well i would love to be on the show with the gentleman if you want me
0: IQ you're always welcome buddy <laughs> we love you <laughs>
3: No, I mean it. So send me all the links. I will you. send everybody everything. So, uh, IQ, you may want to
0: rethink fantastic. that U.S. citizenship thing for now. <laughs> hey, you want to see make how it things go the... in 2022, buddy? If You want to
1: make a with the drug cartels? You can be over here having dinner with me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, or maybe kind of I, I No <laughs> worry. When I come to America, I'll call you up. Don't worry, buddy. I can't
0: wait until the new. You know, you, you know how every year they do. Uh, the Freedom Index of countries around the world. Yes. I can't wait to see what the United States is for 2021. I guarantee you we're like way one, one, in the middle.
4: Four. You are me, 114 at the bottom line.
0: Probably, <laughs> yeah. It's really sad. We're well, um, in the top five countries every year for like 100 plus years in that ranking. And I guarantee you it. we're like 70 now or something. It's disgusting.
4: No, no, 114.
0: Maybe.
3: Well, oh, you seen it? No, no, no. I'm a predicting. <laughs> He's just oh. making a prediction. <laughs> I was like, Oh my god! Yeah. It was a fantastic. Yes, this today. Th- th- this was fun, Stephen. Thanks for doing this, Josh. Always, it's fun. And IQ. I will talk to you Thursday. Thank you, guys. Okay, Thank Appreciate That's it. Totally there nice. they are, and uh, there we go. Uh, quite the uh, quite the fired up show today.